0: Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. As always, Let's Talk Micro, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Overcast, TuneIn Radio, Pandora, Good Pods. Whatever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I'm, I am on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro no apostrophe and on Twitter as let's talk micro one. So go ahead and follow. I always like to post pictures of organisms. And I like to give updates as to when the next episode is coming up. So if you get a chance, you know, download episodes, go ahead and leave a review, leave some feedback, rate the episodes. All this feedback is very helpful. So today we're having an interview episode, but I like to always do a recap of the previous episode. So we'll go ahead and do that first and then proceed with the interview. So on in the last episode, I went over three tests that are used for group A strep testing. Remember group A strep, streptococcus pyogenes. Two of them were antigen based and one was PCR based. The first one, the first one was the Quidel QuickView plus And then the next one was the BD Veritor System for Rapid Detection of Strep A Antigen. Both of these are similar. You know, besides being antigen tests, the setup is similar. You mix reagents, and then you add your throat swab. After you add your throat swab, you wait one minute for the Keidel test and one or two minutes for the BD test. And then you pull the swab, and you're going to add some drops to the test cassette. The you know, Remember the Keidel's test is visual, so a line appears if strep A antigen is detected. Remember it was a pink line. And then the BD has a reader where the cassette is inserted and a positive or negative appears. Since negative antigens, antigen tests should be confirmed by culture in children and adolescents, both of these, they need negative results confirmed by culture or by the third method that I went over. Do you remember which one it was? If you don't, go ahead and check out the previous episode. The third method was the Expert Express Group A trap. and this is for Cepheid. So this one, opposed to the other two, is PCR based, and it is 90% sensitive, which eliminates the need for a culture. You know, a lot of facilities, they're probably moving towards that. I know one of the main issues with Kaidel recently, with the pandemic was that they stopped making them. So a lot of facilities are validating, since the Cepheid, you can have like a small Cepheid, where you can run two tests, you can run four. So facilities are moving towards that. And then you're done because instead of doing the antigen test, you can do the PCR. And then a negative result, it's good enough, where you don't have to perform a culture. So we have seen the scenario where maybe you do an antigen test, and then the PCR test, you know, you perform it in lieu of the antigen of the culture. So the smaller facility will send their negative test to a larger facility that has the Cepheid. They will do the PCR, and then that negative result is confirmed. So now more facilities are moving towards just getting the Cepheid, and then they perform this test, and they're done once they confirm that negative result. No culture is needed where you have to, you know, sub it to a blood plate and then keep it for two days looking for beta colonies. The setup for the group A strep is very simple as well. So it comes with a pipette that when you squeeze, you know, you squeeze it, then insert it in the tube that has the throat swab, then you release the pipette and, you know, it's gonna fill up a certain amount And that's the amount that you need to perform your test. Then you place that amount in your cartridge. And then you follow the procedure to run your instrument. So that's all there is. So check out episode um, 34, Group A Strep Testing. I compare and contrast them. You know, what are the pros and cons? One of the pros is definitely the fact that you don't have to confirm the last one. You know, and then the, the last one also, you can just, it's completely walk away. You load it, and then you wait till the result comes out. Whereas the other two methods, you know, you have to wait that one, two minutes, depending on which test it is. So it is a good episode. Go ahead and check it out if you have the chance. So like I mentioned before, today is an interview episode. So Dr. Paul Luthy, which is a professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, and he's also an associate director at the University of Med- Maryland Medical Center. He came to the podcast, and we talk about an unusual case. You know, this is a bacteria called Wolfhartimonas catiniclastica. And you're going to observe that when I started doing the interview, I mispronounced it. I mean, I never dealt with this organism before, so my apologies. So it's Wolfhartimonas. Cariniclastica. This is a gram negative rod. So it's like a, you know, kind of like a non fermenter. So it was very unusual on a homeless patient. So on the interview, I'm going to talk to Dr. Luthier and I talk about, you know, we talked about how it was identified, what do we do for susceptibilities. So this is good information to have in the back of your mind. You might never see it. But nowadays, you know, with the Malditav, we get so many different IDs of organisms. So, so we see more names that we are not used to, that we are not familiar with. So what would you do if you get one of these? So this case was unusual. And then it is, even though it is unusual, this organism, when it is actually seen, it is seen in polymicrobial infections, you know, polymicrobial it involves multiple organisms. I mean, you have seen polymicrobial infections. You know, sometimes those of you that work in the wound bench, you see that, you know, you have a wound that has two, three non-fermenters and maybe two to three enterobacteriales. So when this organism is seen, you see it with multiple organisms. However, in this case, it was monomicrobial. So it was just the only one. And it was seen in a blood culture. So the history matched the organism. And something interesting, there are no breakpoints for it. And this makes you wonder, how was the patient treated? I mean, what was done in the lab? Did we run, uh, did we test for, did the lab test for antibiotics that they test for, like uh, non-fermenting gram-negative rods? And if they did, which breakpoints did they use? The non-fermenting gram-negative rods? Well, let's go ahead and listen to the interview. So on today's episode, we are here to discuss an article. I mean, nowadays with instruments and, such as the Molotov, we're seeing more organisms, uh, more that we have, you know, sometimes, you know, we haven't heard of them. So on today's episode, we are going to discuss an article titled "Wolfhartimonas Simonas, Chiriniclastica, Monomicrobial Bacteremia in a Homeless Man. This was published in the Emergent Infectious Diseases Journal from the CDC on December of 2021. So to discuss this article today, I have Dr. Paul Luthy, which he's an assistant professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, and also an associate director of the Clinical Microbiology Laboratory at the University of of Maryland Medical Center Laboratories of Pathology. So Dr. Luthy, welcome to Let's Talk Micro.
1: Hey, thanks Lewis. thanks for, for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this really weird organism.
0: It's definitely an unusual case. Um, so can we start, let's start with a, a summary about the article.
1: Yeah, sure. So this is a guy um, who came in the summer of 2020. Um, he's a little bit older, he's in his 60s and unfortunately he was homeless. And he came in, he had some vascular issues. So he had deep vein, uh, thrombosis, chronic venous insufficiency. Um, and he was found in a single parking spot in Maryland for three days. So kind of bad situation, you know, not, not great. Um, when he came in, he was admitted he had a septic shock and his blood cultures upon uh, coming in for septic shock, um, he, um, grew these interesting gram-negative rots. Um, and they really couldn't be identified by any of the methods we had in the laboratory. Um, and so um, they grew uh, in the anaerobic blood culture bottle and uh, they had to be identified, as you mentioned at the beginning by MALDI-TOF MS is giving us all these ideas, uh, new IDs. And so by Malditoff in our laboratory, we identified this as the Wolf uh chitinoclastica. And we confirmed that by 16S sequencing. Um, and this was a pretty cool case because often as the infectious diseases fellow found in his literature search, this organism is usually not found by itself. Usually it's found in a, a polymicrobial infection. And this was only the second case um, of a, poly, or a monomicrobial single organism Blood culture caused by, or blood infection, sepsis caused by um, this organism.
0: Okay. So, so um, at other times it, it, it is found along with other organisms in blood cultures.
1: Yeah, in blood and as well as wound cultures as well. So, there's a, uh, in this paper, the, there's a big table and it, it talks about um, how it, it's the, let me see, um, what did it have? Um, there's one that had like P acnes and a coag negative staph along with it. Um, one that had Proteus along with it. Um, another one that had uh, other enterics, like a Providencia and a Proteus, as well as a Staphylococcus aureus. So you're seeing multiple vocal organisms. And usually, right, when you see here that, you say, okay, well, it's the gram-negative rods, like the Providencia and the Proteus, and then it's, maybe it's the Staphylococcus aureus that are causing the real infection here. So this was interesting because the, the, the man came in with, um, just a single bug, this single wolf artemonas and that was determined to be the cause of his septic shock.
0: Okay, so and then this is uh, for the audience, so like uh, Dr. Luthy says, so this is a gram-negative rod. And um, so as far as on, so you mentioned to so the, the, the patient here, he was homeless. So wh- what kind of patient population do we normally see this organism on?
1: So this organism there's been a, quite a few looks of, of, of what type of people and, and unfortunately it seems to be one associated with lower economic class so homeless individuals those who may not be as well off um poor hygiene is is, is something that is associated and so that might be associated with those of a lower socioeconomic class uh, as well as those who um maybe live closer to livestock um as well as have issues such as alcoholism. And this guy was older, so he was in his 60s. So again, also people who are are a little bit older as well. Um, And the reason why this is all associated with people who are homeless or lower socioeconomic status or poor hygiene is because this organism is found um, largely due to um, people who are uh, also, I guess, infected, or I guess maybe you want to say colonized with um fly larvae so this this bacteria is associated with fly larvae and is found inside of the fly larvae.
0: Well it's definitely very interesting um so you mentioned so none of the instruments other than Malditov could identify it um so you know there are several uh products out there for Malditov. uh which one was it identified on?
1: So we have in our laboratory we have the uh, Vitec mass spectrometer um so that worked very well. It gave a very good idea. It's not one that is currently claimed, at least at this time, um, on the FDA database. Who knows, you know, in a couple months from now, someone might come back and listen to this and it might be claimed later on. But at this moment in time, it's not claimed on the database. Um, so that's why we had to pursue additional um, identification via 16S sequencing. Um, I do believe that the bruker Molitov can also identify it as well.
0: Okay. Send in, all right. So Vitec, the MS, that's the same one that, uh, that I'm familiar with that I use. So, but this is just the regular, it's not the, the RUO, it's just regular Vitec MS.
1: Right. Yeah. Just the regular. And, and sometimes, right. As you've probably seen that organisms that are kind of weird, um, aren't as common, the, the, Database is actually probably right. And probably in this case, in this case, it was, it, it can identify some of those weird organisms as the is adding more and more spectra to the database. Um, and so that's what this case was here. But again, just not one that has been submitted for FDA approval yet. Um, so it's kind of one of those user your own risks. And that's why we, we submitted it for sequencing for confirmation.
0: Um, yes. And for the audience out there, I mean, those of you that work with Vitec MS, so organisms that are not claimed, they show with an N. On and definitely you do have a range from the unusual um, and even sometimes some that we do see commonly in, in in the lab, such as like aerococcus urinary. So typically the lab will proceed to validate them via other methods. And then after you get, you know, an X number of samples, then even though the end is never going to go away, it's always on your database, it's going to show up like that. But if your laboratory has validated it, then you can go ahead and accept it which is the case I would, you know, we have done with Aerococcus RNA and other organisms.
1: Yeah, we, we've done the same thing. And and um, we would have loved to have been able to do this with biochemical testing on this one, but, you know, I was looking in some of the textbooks and it really isn't positive for many things. It's, it's really just some weekly, um, weekly acid, acidification of some of the sugars. And, and that's about it besides catalase and oxidase. So it's one of your environmental non fermenters that, doesn't give you a good answer on your biochemical test strips.
0: Okay. And, and definitely also, since it's such an unusual organism, you're not going to have enough samples to validate it on your database. So you will have to proceed with another method of identifying it just like as you did. Um, So you mentioned, yeah, so not much as far as biochemicals. So do you know, you know, for us here in the lab, uh, which media does it grow on?
1: Yeah. So it actually grows pretty well on all the standard media. So we grew it on blood chocolate and McConkie. Um, and on McConkie agar it's a non fermenter. So it would, would not turn purple, right. Um, as a non-lactose fermenter, cause it's a non-fermenter in general, not just, um, not a lactose fermenter. Um, and the colonies, um, they're described as being short, short coxoid rods, um, that when they grow, the colonies are flat, slightly spready colonies. Um, again, they're oxidase positive, um, non-fermenters. They're indole negative. Um, so that's something that would that would you could see as well. And then again, yeah, it's like pretty much almost everything else negative as well.
0: Okay, so definitely, so in the case that if we encounter it in the lab, then you will be able to see it by the standard media. So it just it will grow along with so yeah. McConkie definitely and blood, like you said, chocolate. Okay. So for us here, as far as, you know, like us medical lab scientists, you know, in the lab, we're working this, we get this organism. So what do we do as far as susceptibilities?
1: That's a great question. Um, there aren't any breakpoints for this organism, right? It's, it's so weird because it's associated with fly larvae. You have to, to be have fly larvae eating you somewhere even get this, that um, there are no CLSI, there are no FDA, there are no UCAS breakpoints. That doesn't mean that people haven't tried to use susceptibility testing to try to interpret um, how to treat. Um, There are reports of people using e-tests. There was a paper I was reading that they were using um, the microscan type of panels. So your automated panels like a microscan or a Vitec or other companies' automated panels um, that they've placed on there. And, and when they've tried to interpret, they've used most often um, than not the non-enterobacter ECA, um, CLSI or UCAS breakpoints. Um, and so they've used those to interpret. Um, of note, um, some of the textbooks say in their tiny little entry of like a, a paragraph and a half about this <laughs> organism, that it's resistant to penicillin, um, but that it's pretty susceptible to some of the other um, antibiotics. Um, that includes the other beta lactams like the cephalosporins, um, as well as some of the other things like the fluoroquinolones. So your levofloxacin, your ciprofloxacin, it seemed to be pretty sensitive to that as well. And that's ultimately what our our team at our hospital treated with. They first started with a, a cephalosporin, uh, ceftriaxone, and then they moved the patient to levofloxacin upon discharge.
0: Okay, so was since so there are no no breakpoints, but was there any like testing set up in the lab or was it more like, you know, the patient was put on something and then he responded to the treatment?
1: Yeah, it was, it was that they put him on the ceptriaxone first and he responded really well. Um, they went straight to the literature since we didn't really know what to do with this thing. And, uh, due to their homeless status, they, and poor socioeconomic status, they wanted to get out of the hospital as soon as, as possible. And, um, so they were just looking for whatever guidance they could find in the literature to, to determine how to treat this guy.
0: Okay. And then you said, so, and some, so sometimes they might, they might use like the, on the CLSI, the, the non fermenting gram negative rods. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. It, it, it could be used for that, right? It's one of those ones that no one's really sure what the best thing to use is for that one. Um, besides that you just can't use it for pseudomonas aeruginosa, Burkaldarius patient, you know, ones that already have other breakpoints. So it's kind of that weird catch all one that, kind of does catch all kind of doesn't it's kind of weird
0: okay definitely so as far as you know so when like we get this organism and then in the lab or and then we call you know we notify the physician and say hey i um, no uh, you know the patient has will have well uh, was it cat, chitin i think Chitinoclastica. yeah cadeniclastica so as far as from an infection prevention standpoint, are there any measures? I mean, not much is known about this organism.
1: Yeah, I don't think there are. Um, I mean, especially by itself, I don't think there's anything that you worry about like contact precautions or anything like that. It's really, it's associated with the larvae. So if if the people don't have the larvae on them, you don't have to really worry about that being spread through, through that way. I think um, most likely what, the infection prevention standards would be is again, there's only two cases of it with a mining with by itself causing an infection. It's almost always with something else. And so you'd probably be following contact precautions, for example, for your MRSA or VRE or something else that might also be uh, causing infection at the same time in the same wound or the same blood culture, um, that you isolate this from rather than just from the wolf Artemonas on its own.
0: Okay. And as far as from the article, so, uh, the patient recover, was put on treatment and he responded.
1: Yeah, very quickly um he responded and to the ceftriaxone
0: Okay, that's good. So this is definitely um and for the audience out there, that's that's what you know it's always good to you know correlate the history with the with the organism that you have. And that's something that all of us technologists and you know we should definitely always pay attention to when we see organisms, especially unusual ones. Do the research, you know uh, search in textbooks, and of course, always, you know, pull the patient's history and see. Um, and this, you know, it seems that it's, you know, homeless, seen in a homeless population, and it's caused by larvae. So this is definitely a very unusual case. But for those of you out there that are, you know, nowadays, that if you have stuff in your lab, you know, it's always good to keep it on the back of your mind. If you ever see this, that way, now, you know, with this information out there, that you know, you know, in which direction to go forward. Um, anything else uh, about this case, Doctor Luthy, that you want to tell the audience?
1: Not that I can think of. Um, definitely, just a weird bug. I mean, I think the story behind it's kind of fun. They, interesting fact I was reading is um, it has this really, I mean, as the name suggests, it has a really strong chitinase ability, so it can can chew up chitin. And they think that um, because it's associated with the larvae that um, it is a symbiote with the larvae, meaning that they mutually benefit each other and that it might be involved with the chitinase activity in um, metamorphosis of the larvae to a fly from the like worm larvae stage to the fly stage, because as it's metamorphosizing, it chews up the chitin in the larvae and helps it change into a fly. And I just thought that was kind of crazy and weird um, that something could, could help out with that.
0: Wow, definitely is. Yes. All right. Well, um, Dr. Luthi, I want to thank you for taking the time to coming over uh, to Let's Talk Micro and talk about this case.
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. You're welcome. And then, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode what a great interview with Dr. Paul Luthi from the University of Medi- Maryland Medical Center and the School of Medicine some great information an unusual case as always continue bringing passion to what you do it's so important we do such great work so stay motivated stay safe and of course Continue talking micro until the next time. Bye